0: Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. I remember I was 16 years old and I could sing but was always afraid to. And it was the youth were in charge of the service and I was singing a duet Uh, with someone and I made a mistake on the note and it was an obvious one. And when you're a musician, which I'm not, nor a singer, I'm a hobbyist, uh, you can sing a thousand right notes, but you sing the wrong one and that's the only one anybody ever hears. So from 16 years old all the way through Bible school to the beginning of life in ministry, I never sang again until my senior pastor at the time in Flemington, New Jersey heard me Singing, And he said, you know, um, you you can sing and I'm going to have you lead worship on Sunday. (laughs) Oh, but I wasn't in the position to say no. And uh, I started singing and leading worship and I had lost all of those years where I could have been serving the Lord because of a mistake I made. And did you hear the mistake I made this morning? And what did I do? Just start over the world didn't end. God didn't fall off of his throne. And my point in that is, I'm going to sing at the end too. So when I'm done preaching, if you don't want to hear it, you know, you can go, but I'm going to sing at the end too. Here's my point. Don't miss what God wants to do because you're afraid to make a mistake. Here's what we say on the staff level. You know what a mistake is? When you stop talking long enough to actually do something. That's when mistakes happen. People that don't do anything... They don't make mistakes, but they also don't do anything. So I think just some of you needed to hear that. Listen, I've made worse mistakes than that, and I just keep going. Just keep going. What did I do? I started a song over. It happens. All right? So stop being so afraid of making mistakes. Do something. Do something. All right? All right, so here we are in 1 Samuel. That's not the sermon. That was extra. That was, you know, you got to put your tithes in. That that was in the offerings part of it, okay? Uh, so we're in 1 Samuel. I'm going to stay in 1 Samuel for a little while yet. Oftentimes when I start a series, I kind of have it all laid out week by week. This I'm not because I'm just enjoying it, uh, just going through the book myself and asking God to speak and Lord, what, it is, that, what is it that you want me to share with the congregation? So we're kind of walking through it. I won't do 31 weeks of 1 Samuel, but we haven't even gotten to Saul, King Saul or David yet. And those are going to be a few weeks as it is. Uh, in that. So we're just going to go, and um, as the Lord continues to to um, uh, lead in that. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 5, 1 Samuel chapter 5, which I think is one of the, my favorite stories um, in scripture. But to give you a little background on it, we looked at last week that the Israelites were attacked by the Philistines, and 4,000, 4, soldiers died. And so they had the idea if If we just bring the Ark of the Covenant with us, then we'll win the victory because they thought ritual was enough. But ritual or religion, we would say, is never enough. We need a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. And so they had the ritual of the Ark, but they didn't have the relationship with God, and they went into battle, and they lost 30,000 soldiers. Now, I don't care who you are. That's a lot. Their army was decimated, okay? And so after that, or during that battle, Hophni and Phinehas died, just as God said on the same day. Uh, A messenger went back to Eli who heard the news, and the Bible says of Eli he was old, fat, and blind, and he fell over backwards in his chair and died. This is all on the same day. 30,000 soldiers, the priests, wicked Godless scoundrel priests, they died in the same day. Eli, the high priest, died in the same day. Phineas' daughter, who was pregnant, went into uh, labor and, and ultimately died giving birth. But before she died, she named that son Ichabod, which means where is the glory or the glory of God has departed. Now, I'm telling you all this bad news to show you that Israel at this particular point in history was in bad shape. But I also want to show you this, and this is important. God didn't leave them. They left God. God didn't leave them. They left God. They thought that they could manipulate God by bringing the ark and that God as a magic genie would somehow automatically win victory for them. They knew their history that God had won great victories with Moses, great victories with Joshua, great victories, but the difference was as Moses had a relationship with God and not just religion and ritual Joshua had a relationship with God and not just religion, ritual. He had a relationship. In fact, Joshua, when it was his time to move on from leadership, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or actually, it more more uh, fully, it says, uh, this day you must choose whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the nation of Israel chose to serve themselves by doing what was right in their own eyes and to worship false gods. And so when they came to this day, it wasn't that God had left them, it's that they had left God. So not only was all this this death around them, but the Philistines in battle took the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant was that which represented the presence of God. It wasn't the presence of God. It represented the presence of God. God said to them that you put this in the Holy of Holies. You know, the, most of you know this. Only one priest could go in into the Holy of Holies and offer up a sacrifice for the people. And if he hadn't gone through the ceremonial cleansing, he would die. And so they would tie, they would, he would have bells on his robe and a rope around his one leg. And if they ever heard the bells stop jingling, they pulled him out. We have some rooms downstairs in the basement that no one is allowed to go into unless they have bells and a rope because I'm sure that it would bring certain death upon them and we would have to drag them out. But they had to, the, 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 the high priest had to be cleansed. But God's presence wasn't in the box because God cannot be contained. God said he would meet with the people at the box between the cherubim, between the two angels. He would come and he would talk with them and he would meet with them. And this is all in Exodus. We went over it last, last week in that. See, there was no power in the box. The, power was, the box represented the power of God. So the Philistines take the ark, thinking that the ark was the Israelites' God, in their essence they were basically saying the philistines were saying aha ah, ha our god beat your god now we have your god but can i tell you this god cannot be defeated and god does not dwell in a box and the philistines are about to see this in a very dramatic way and the israelites are about to learn this lesson as well all right so turn with me to first samuel Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I'm only going to preach on five verses today. And all God's people said, all right, I'm going to take that as I can preach longer. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to interpret it however I want. I said only five verses and you weren't happy about it, so I'm just going to keep preaching. 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 5. After the Philistines captured the ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod, they carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. Okay, in their religion, in their mythology, Dagon was the, the, the main god. He was the father of Baal, B A A L, the storm god. And, and, and they believed that Dagon and his power was greater than the Israelites' God because they defeated the Israelites and they took their God. And so they decide they're going to place the Israelites' God in the temple of their God to show that their God was superior. Now, if you know the rest of this story, you're already chuckling to yourself. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about this. He says, however, Dagon didn't have a chance. I love that. For Jehovah God was and is able to take care of himself not that awesome? Because he's God. God wasn't sitting in heaven going, oh. <laughs> now what am I going to do? Now the Philistines have me. Oh, no. He's got the Philistines right where he wants them. Now I'm in the presence of Dagon. No, 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 no. No, no, no. All right. So here's what happened. They put him in there, verse 3. Look at this. I'm already on verse 3. Don't get your hopes up. It might be short, not that short. But when the citizens of Ashdod went in to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord. And so they took Dagon and put him in his place again. So watch what happened. They put the Ark, thinking Dagon was superior to the Ark. And when they get up the next morning and go in, there's Dagon on his face before the Ark. Okay? Okay. He was face down. There's two ways that face down is related in the the Bible and in in the Old Testament, I'll say. One is the fear of the higher authority, okay? So watch this. When Joseph, remember Joseph was in charge of all of the food, which made him the most powerful person in Egypt because he or she that controls the food has all the power. Did you know that? People think it's money. Ah, money comes and it's food. Who controls the food? That's who has all the power. Anyway, he controlled all the food and he was powerful because you would like die of starvation without him. What did his brothers do when they came before him? Why? Because they feared his authority. God was symbolizing and saying to the Philistines that even your God bows down to me because even your God knows that I'm higher than he is. And so watch what they do. What do they do with Dagon? They what? They picked him up. You can't pick up God. You can't pick up God because he's God. Our God doesn't fall down that we have to pick him up. Their God, they had to pick up. I don't know what was going through their minds thinking, you know, what's going on here and how did this happen? Something, something did it. So, so I'm imagining now I'm adding a little bit to this, but they picked him up and I, and I'm thinking they kept closer watch the next night. They had this graven image, which God forbid, and that's in, you know, the, the the 10 commandments that you should not bow down to a, to an image created and the reason that commandment is so important because the true God cannot be uh, encapsulated in anything that we could make with our hands. Okay? You can't narrow down to something that can be made with human hands. You can't narrow God down to that. He says, so don't, don't create an image of me because it's inadequate and certainly don't worship it. And I think that's why Jesus didn't leave anything behind. Jesus didn't leave any writings He didn't leave anything behind because the human nature is that we would worship whatever he left behind instead of worshiping him. You get it? Because we're just apt to worship things. Okay? Uh, Real quick. It's because we're created as worshipers. See, God created us as worshipers. And sin leads us to worship other things besides the true God. See, God created us as worshipers so that we would naturally tend to worship him, but sin broke that. Can I just put a parenthesis on all this, and I promise I'll get back to it. I was thinking about it the other day. All of the things that touch our hearts, like when you're watching a movie or a TV show, it turns out it touches our hearts because it's a representation of God. So if you see someone going into, we've been watching um, uh, the old seasons of... um, This is us. Oy, that's my Jewish coming out. Oy, (laughs) this is my Italian. Oy, have you seen This Is Us? Anybody watch that? That'll hit you right in the heart, right in the heart. And oh, oh man, I don't know if I can tell this story now. I can't. All right, This Is Us, it's a nice show and it'll touch your heart. Okay, I'll go back so far that some of you won't, weren't even born when this was on. But there was a show on Saturday night called Emergency. Do you remember that show? How many remember that, Emergency? Oh, look at you. And you know what? Back in that day, we got criticized for watching TV, so y'all are sinners. <laughs> Emergency. And, and they would go, and they would have an episode, and, and at the end, it was always like the big, the big fire, the big thing. And they would rush in and they would rush into the fire no matter what cost it would be to them and they would rescue that person and in our minds we would all cheer. Why? Because God built in us that understanding that self-sacrifice is awesome and that he would someday present someone who would sacrifice themselves for someone else. Do you get it? That's why that's so awesome. That's why, what's another show, I haven't seen this in a while, Undercover Boss. Have you seen that one? Undercover Boss, they disguise themselves usually not well. Uh, they disguise themselves and, uh, and then they find out about needs and then they, you know, the employee needs a car and they give them a car. And the employee cries, the boss cries, I cry, everybody's crying. Why? Because generosity is part of the God nature in us. And generosity touches everybody's heart, not just believers. Why? Because God built that idea of generosity into us so that we would understand the free gift of salvation that he gives to us through his grace. And I could go on and on and on. All of these things that touch our hearts, it's because of the God nature inside of us. Someone in a movie willing to lay down their life to save others. What was that movie with the asteroid coming and they had to blow it up? Armageddon, Independence Day, was that another one? What was the one where the guy from Aerosmith sang that song and it was his daughter that was in it? That's Armageddon? Crying, I was crying at that. Do you see a theme here? I'm just crying at these movies. Doors just handing me tissues. Crying, crying. Why? Why? Because built into us is everything that we need to see and understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ through no fault of his own but through ours, but he was willing to lay down his life while we were still sinners, okay? All right. That that was good. That might even cost you more in the offering. I'm just kidding you. So God cannot be contained in a box. Their God bows down to him. They pick him back up. Think of the, the irony of that. They pick him back up. They watch... It things over that no one gets in or no one gets out. Verse four, but the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord. Again, this time his head and hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. You see the head and hands weren't even close to where he was. Something happened here that broke off his head and hands in the doorway. Uh, uh, only the trunk of his body was left intact. So I love this. They, they picked him up, and you can't pick up God. No one was there. It wasn't done by Israel the first time, and they saw their God bowing over a greater authority. Now they come back in, and they see their God had com- been completely dominated and destroyed by someone greater than their God. We're going to get to the story of David and Goliath someday this year, I promise, in 1 Samuel 17. But you know the story. That's it. And then what was next, though? After he went down, what, Doug? Right. To show complete domination over the enemy. So what happened to Dagon? God was showing complete domination over Dagon. God was saying, you think you might have won, but you have no idea what you're dealing with and who you're dealing with. I am almighty God. Someone said this, Dagon's status and posture before the ark renders him, watch, unworthy of worship. Are you ready? Do this, fasten your seatbelt. There is nothing and no one in your life that's worthy of worship other than Jesus. That's it. There's no human on earth that you admire or even more than that, that you think can meet all of your needs. There's no human on earth that can be God there's only one God and that's Jesus there's nothing that you own there's nothing that you have control of that can meet your greatest need only God can meet your greatest need my wife is the single most important person in my life on earth. She's more important than my children because the relationship that my wife and I have is the only relationship established by God as flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, number one. I'll give you a little little secret here. Whenever you're having trouble making decisions, you, you have to look at your priorities. God first, that's a given, and then who's next? Well, your spouse is next then your children come after that. But if you put your children before your spouse, you'll end up losing all of them. Because children are a great gift, but they're a terrible God. And my wife is a great gift, but she's a terrible God. And I don't look to my wife to meet all of my greatest needs. I look to Jesus to meet my greatest needs so that I can love my wife sacrificially as Jesus loves me. You see what I'm saying? If you're looking for a relationship to meet your greatest needs, there's only one relationship that can do that, and that's with Jesus. If you're looking for something material, if I only get this new truck, then everything will be better. You're three trucks in, and everything's still not better. If we could only do this, or buy this, or have this, you're you're, you're how many thousands of dollars in and it's still not better because no one and nothing can be God all right now had you fasten this seatbelt here you're going to need the chest strap for this and only a couple people will get this you're going to need a Hans device for this it's a racing term how many got Hans device okay a few of you It's a neck apparatus that keeps your neck in place. Because no matter how stiff-necked you are, you still need help sometimes. (laughs) Anybody get that? One preacher said, the lady came up to him after and said, Preacher, it sounded like you were talking to me. And he says, well, I was aiming. (laughs) But anyway, this is going to take a Hans device. Listen, in our culture today, sexuality is not your highest God. And your self-identification is not your highest God. And I tremble to think that what's happening to our children because of the world's standards. I heard a story with my own ears this week. No one in the church, no one you would even know, like if I said their name, you wouldn't even know who they are. There's someone that I randomly met, said that their 10-year-old daughter no longer wants to be addressed as a girl. Ten years old. Where do you get this from at 10? Because the enemy is coming after them. Because watch, our world is teaching and trying to conform us to the God of sexuality and the God of self-identification. Now, hear the rest of it. This is where I'm going to upset the rest of you. We need to be ridiculously compassionate to those that are struggling with their sexuality and identity because the struggle is real for them. And just because you haven't gone through it doesn't mean that somebody's not legitimately going through it. We need to be ridiculously compassionate towards them and loving so that they can see the love of God because God doesn't hate them. God loves them just like he loves you and I. Then I'm reading something yesterday are there any ministers? Now I know I'm going to get in trouble for this and we might not put this out there. Um, Are there any ministers that would do a same sex marriage in the area? And one of the responses was so-and-so will, they're very loving and caring. And I was not offended, but I will use the word. I was personally offended because I'm so loving and caring that I don't want you to enter into a lifestyle that would condemn you to a, to hell, and to an absence of God's presence in your life. See, loving isn't necessarily just accepting everything. Loving is having compassion on those that struggle with their identity. Having struggling with sexuality and sexual issues. They People do struggle. Same-sex attraction is is real and legitimate. Okay? We need to love them and show them compassion and lead them in the things of God in a caring way and give them another option because the world doesn't present an option. Can you imagine a 10-year-old imagining they have no other option? No, there is an option. God created you and formed you and loves you and sent his son to die for you. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And at 10 years old, you don't know what it is yet. Don't. Parents, don't let them make a decision that would mess up their life. I'm 55 years old and don't always know what in the world I'm doing. God, help us. That's why we pray for our children. God, bless them in the name of Jesus. God, protect them in the the name of Jesus. Let the word of God get into their hearts. This coming Wednesday night online, I have a school administrator, a Christian school administrator that goes to our church and she's going to share how we can pray for teachers and administrators in the secular schools because they desperately need our prayers. I pray that God would raise up Nehemiahs that serve in a pagan court but have godly influence. Now I'm not willing to offer our sacrifice on, the, on the, uh, our children as a sacrifice to make a point, but I wonder if there is some sort of consequence to withdrawing all of the light and then being mad that there's so much darkness. I'm wondering if there's a consequence to having our own Christian subculture that no one is allowed into and that we refuse to leave. And then complaining about the darkness. I just wonder. I don't know. That's above and beyond me. But I pray for our teachers, our administrators. We have so many involved in schools uh, here in our church that, that the, the light of Jesus would shine. And it never involves standing on top of the desk and all of that. It means when you have an opportunity, be salt and be light. I'm going to tell you this. I didn't tell you this. And I'm, I'm going to be done in a, when I'm done. I was contacted by the school system to be on an advisory committee thing as they're redoing their mission and vision statement. I was invited as someone outside of the educational realm representing the community. It was a great honor and I served on it willingly and was happy to. And the craziest thing happened is I thought to myself, God, if you place me on this, then you want to use me in some way. Please, oh God, give me wisdom to not say anything stupid. Because they were all smarter than me. Every single one of them was much smarter than me. All of them understood what they were talking about. But what I brought out to them is no one else understands what they're talking about. And if you wanna connect to the community, you have to speak like the community. Well, they listened. Now that I changed the whole structure of everything and everything that's taught shouldn't be, nope. But God used me to be light in that little example, to be a little bit of an influence that maybe he could take that light and fan the flame a little bit more. Maybe the representation of, of, and I didn't present myself as, you know, oh holiest thou reverend. They called me Randy, and I was thrilled. I think if they would have called me reverend, I wouldn't have done it, because automatically I lost my influence. Automatically, walls would have been built, and no one would have listened. We desperately need Nehemiahs. Yesterday, yesterday, I was texted. I didn't even tell my wife this yet. It's nothing bad. I'm going for whatever Pastor Rick's serving today anyhow, so I'm good for lunch. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. (laughs) This is something else. I I can't tell you what the position was, but somebody from the community texted me and asked me if I would be willing to run for this certain position within our community. And I don't have an answer for them yet. I said, "I'll, I'll need to know more. But the reason that they asked me is because of the interaction that I've had with people for 22 years. I have tried not to live my life in these four walls. I've tried to live them in the real world that if God so chooses, and I didn't push for anything, and I don't even know that I'll do this because I don't want to interfere with, I don't want to be divisive that if I needed to be a pastor to someone, they wouldn't come to me because of a decision made out in another realm. Okay? Don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. But I'm just saying my first role is to be a godly influence, and my first role is to be a pastor. And that's a pastor to all people, not just ones that agree with me. And so if that role would be divisive and hinder me from being who God created me to be, then I won't do it. If I think it's a Nehemiah role, I will. Okay? Um, But the reason is, is because we didn't live inside these four walls, but we lived out there with people. And the guy that texted me, he swears in front of me and doesn't even apologize. He smokes in front of me, even out in the parking lot of the church. But somewhere along the way, there's been some sort of influence Why am I saying all this? Because you can have the same influence. Don't be afraid of making a mistake. Don't be afraid of living outside of these four walls where people swear and smoke and drink too much. Don't do any of those things, okay? I didn't start swearing all of a sudden. I didn't start, I'm not gonna start smoking. It's too expensive. That's not the only reason, I'm just saying. Geez, I go to Wawa and people are like, i oh, have two packs of cigarettes. That'll be $18,000. Oh, and I filled up my tank. That'll be $3 million, $3 million, Who's got, Who's got the money for these bad habits? I'm not saying do that, but I'm saying God wants to use you as an influence. Don't be so afraid. And here's why. Okay, I'm winding it down. Because our God is greater than their God. And God is on our side and he's with us and their gods will someday bow down before him. Why are we so afraid of everything all the time? They thought they won. They didn't. They thought there was a mistake. They set Dagon back up. He fell in complete domination and submission to God Almighty. His arms and his head were removed and placed by the doorway because our God is greater than their God. And our God is greater than their God. And our God will be victorious. All right. There's a great song. It's called "Kings Shall Bow." Oh man, I've got. You're gonna have to give me a little bit more, okay? You have to give me a little bit more. This song, "Kings Shall Bow," written by Gary Driscoll and Marty Hennis. They said this: They mock his name, they slight his word, as if he were a fable. They taunt my faith and they scorn me as if I were a fool. But feeble is their reproof. And firm is the final truth that all their slandering doesn't change a thing. For even at this very hour, if the father pleases, kings shall bow down and adore. And nations will kneel down before him. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Someday... And it's fearful on earth. And I would not want to be Ukrainian living in Ukraine. Putin is scary. But someday at the name of Jesus, he will bow down before him. And if the father pleases, it could happen right now that every king would bow down. Every dictator would bow down. Every president would bow down. Every person would bow down before him. That's how great our God is. A fallen world sinks deeper still in shameless degradation. Let me tell you this. This was written in the early 90s before social media. I don't know what's worse than degradation, but we're there. The crowds increase with those who sin, and yet they seem to prevail. But saints, fight the faithful fight. Soon, wrong will be made right. And every suffering sacrifice for the cause of Christ will be rewarded on that day when at the name of Jesus, kings shall bow and adore. Glory, glory to his name. And nations will kneel down before him and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. This is Philippians chapter 2 from the message. Not at all. When the time came, he, meaning Jesus, set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. I'll add, for the one that spoke the universes into existence. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless and obedient life. And then he died a selfless and obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. But because of that obedience, God lifted him and honored him far above and beyond anyone or anything. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before Jesus Christ and they will call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. All will bow. Now what I want us to do right now is to take the opportunity to literally or figuratively, however it is you want to do it, to bow down before the Lord and humble yourself before Him. That's where victory comes. Victory comes in submission to God. That's where the understanding of the majesty and awesomeness of Almighty God comes from is in His presence as we bow down before him. Thank you for listening to Hope Online podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.